Well, good morning, Velocity. It is great to be back here uh, this morning, and uh, I am so, uh, so thrilled to be back here. Many of you, if you're newer to Velocity, we moved away eight years ago. It's hard to believe it's been that long, but this summer we moved away eight years ago up into the Shenandoah Valley, and uh, our son Timmy, uh, actually on opening day eight years ago, I saw Tim Ryder out there, uh, was with us on opening day. Uh, we announced to our launch team on opening day that we were pregnant uh, and going to, in our old age, going to have a third child and that we're going to grow our church one way or the other is what we did. And so Timmy, when we left uh, eight years ago, was eight. Now he's 16, driving, uh, six foot two, and it's a whole different world. It makes me feel old. And so uh, Lisa, many of you have asked, Lisa's not with me here today. The church that we now attend up in the valley has a big leaders meeting that she's helping lead this morning, getting ready for groups and discipleship groups this fall. And so she really wishes she could be here, uh, but I'm going solo this morning. So uh, I'm so thrilled to be here. Uh, many of you you may not know the reason I left Velocity eight years ago was to become the executive director of Waypoint Church Partners, which is the organization that helped Velocity uh, get started 16 years ago. And uh, we uh, serve churches all over the region, but we also start a couple of great new churches uh, all around the region every uh, year. We got a map of the churches that uh, have started uh, through Waypoint since 1990. And you may not know that uh, since Velocity got started, Velocity has helped to start 35 new churches around the region. Uh, that that are a lot like Velocity. I get to go to a different one every Sunday. And so that's something to be proud of. This church was number 13, which is my favorite number. Uh, even before Velocity started, we were number 13. And just uh, a few months ago, we started number 48. And so we've got, uh, so we planted in the last year, uh, we planted a church in Goldsboro, North Carolina. We've got a picture of uh, maybe that church. They meet in the movie theater, uh, which feels strangely really uh, familiar to me. Both the churches that we've helped to start started in the movie theater. And so uh, hopefully they won't be in that movie theater nine years like we were, uh, but uh, they started a movie theater in Goldsboro, North Carolina and doing great. And then uh, just in March of this year, we started another church called Journey Christian Church in Virginia Beach, and they are me meeting in a roller skating rink of all places. Can you imagine? And it's thankfully, it's brand new. I'm, when I think roller skating rink, I think of Smokefield 1977 uh, kind of roller skating rink, but this one actually opened during COVID, brand new, high tech, and it's a great spot. And so you've helped plant both of those churches because of your support for Waypoint. Uh, in the last year, we've got three more on the docket. Uh, this In just about a month, we're starting a church on September 11th in Holly Springs, which is right out. another uh, church uh, that's going to be started uh, in Durham, North Carolina. And I'm a Duke fan, so I'm going to be visiting that church a lot, uh, hoping to go to a basketball game. Uh, but then we're really excited to announce that next year, next fall, in a little over a year, we're going to be planting a church in Ashland here in the Richmond metro area. And so uh, I want to thank you for your partnership uh, to help us get great new churches like this one and other ones like this all around the region uh, through Waypoint Church Partners. And one thing that we're really proud of is that our new churches uh, aren't just uh, kind of shuffling the sheep or shifting the saints, if you know what I mean, but they provide places where people can come and find God and have a relationship with his son Jesus uh, in a new way, uh, ho hopefully for many of them for the very first time in their lives. One metric of that is uh, last year alone during COVID, the churches on that map uh, celebrated 403 baptisms. And uh, so that's something to be really proud of. If someone is plotting out there, if you're going to plot for anything today, that's something to be uh, proud of is that you've been a part of that, including the, the baptisms that were at this church, but all those churches. Uh, and it's been uh, more than 2,500 uh, baptisms in the last five years uh, through those churches. And so thanks for being a partner with us uh, through what we do at Waypoint. <clears throat> and uh, we moved up into the, the Shenandoah Valley eight years ago and about a 
rickety old farmhouse, a hundred year old farmhouse. And, and we wanted for 30 years, we've been married 35 now, but since we were engaged, we wanted an old farmhouse and now, now we have one. And so it is a constant list of to-do uh, to lists, fairly major projects. I was involved in a fairly big one yesterday that's not done when I get home later this afternoon or this evening. I've got to try and finish it up and get all the tools put away. And I have found myself, I don't know about you, but during, during COVID, during the pandemic, uh, I have switched from regular television that I, I just watch YouTube all night. Is there anybody else in the room that's like that, that YouTube is all they watch, several of us? And for me, it's just pro tips on how to do all these construction projects that I've got to do. Just over and over all these videos on how to fix plumbing or electric or you fill in the blank, whatever it is. That's all I watch every night. And, um, and, and you can get pro tips for anything uh, that you want to. And then you get in the algorithm and that's all you see in, uh, in your feed is more and more videos. And so that's pretty much what I do uh, every night is watch YouTube on how to fix the next thing that's coming up in our house. And you know, the Bible, when you think about it, is just chock full of pro tips for how to live a godly life. And, uh, and you probably could go on YouTube and watch all kinds of videos on, on all that. But I think the Bible is a great source that we ought to be looking into every day on how we ought to be living a godly life. And it's just full of that. And so I wanna talk about that today on, on one particular area about a kindness, the wisdom of kindness. And uh, the Bible's full of tips on kindness. Uh, if you think of the wisdom of kindness, you'd think, well, wisdom comes from the book of Proverbs. And there's several verses in Proverbs alone much less the rest of the Bible about kindness. And so, for example, in Proverbs chapter 11, the Bible records, the man who is kind benefits himself, but a cruel man hurts himself. Uh, says she, the godly woman, opens her mouth with wisdom and the teaching of kindness is on her tongue. And so there's something about kindness in the Bible that is really distinct about what we, I want to talk about uh, this morning. And as a uh, I get to preach at a different church just about every Sunday, and I have the luxury of only needing two good sermons. And uh, the problem is, is I've preached both of them at this church already, because I get to fill in uh, when Rob's out of town. And so, and I'm sure you all remember every single word of both of those sermons. So I had to come up with something new. So a couple weeks ago, I got to preach a message in a sermon series for one of our other church plants, one of the ones that's on that map. <clears throat> Excuse me, I'm gonna need a glass of water, some kind of water. Uh, if possible, water, uh, if possible. I don't have COVID. Uh, I've already had it. So, um, um, so um, where was I? Water. I've all, so I'm going to re-preach this sermon about kindness. I got to preach for Collective Church that, I, that uh, was up in Frederick, Maryland, a great church plant that you've helped get started. And uh, so... Um, so I'm wondering if during the pandemic, other than being on YouTube the whole time, if any of you, this is what I'm looking for. Thank you very much. I'm did anybody get like stuck into watching, like binge watching a series during, during the pandemic for the two years that we were locked down? Like shows that you would have never watched and you just watched like three or four seasons of them all of a sudden. I don't know if it was uh, that, that like for, for you. Uh, for us at our house, we went through several of them. We had not lost, watched the series Lost yet. I don't know how we hadn't watched it yet, but we watched the whole thing during the pandemic. And then, but I, I forced Timmy to watch this, the, at least the whole first year of what I would consider to be the absolute greatest television show ever produced. <laughs> Magnum PI, right? It's the, it's the best one ever. And so after one, one whole season, he was like, 
dad, we're done. So uh, we didn't watch season number two or up through the eight years that, that he was on. Uh, but I think one of the ones that was huge during the pandemic, the, one of the ones that great, uh, got the greatest uh, amount of traction was this show called uh, Ted Lasso. Anybody get into the Ted Lasso show? On, uh, all right, there's fans on Apple TV. And if you don't know, Ted Lasso actually originated as an NBC ad campaign when NBC uh, bought the rights uh, for the English Premier League, uh, the, which is, for those of you who don't know, that's a soccer league in, in England, and it's, it's like big, like the NFL. And, uh, and so they did this, and uh, they, they did this uh, ad campaign for about that. And the, kind of the shtick of the, the ad campaign and then the, the show, show is that this kind of little-known American college football coach at a fairly small college in America gets hired to coach a professional, a struggling professional soccer team in England. And, uh, and it's kind of a joke. He, he, he really doesn't know anything about soccer. And, uh, but they hire him anyway. And, uh, and you would think it's going to be a total cap- ca- uh, catastrophe. But what happens in this show is that uh, his players start playing well. They start learning how to work together. And it's really because of the way he treats them as a coach that in every episode is woven this special kind of kindness in the way that he treats them and respects them and draws them together. And I think this show gained a lot of notoriety because it happened during the pandemic, during a season when we were really starting to be harsh with each other, unlike ever before. And his brand of kindness was in every single episode. And that's what made it so wildly popular. And if you Google Ted Lasso, you're going to find a bunch of articles online describing And uh, I think we need the wisdom of kindness now more than ever to make a difference in our lives like this show kind of depicts. And uh, during the pandemic, um, it was a time where our country felt unkind. You know, there were all the the polarization of politics for the last two years. And there was an election, if you hadn't heard. And then there was the divide of racial injustice and, and, and there was all the response to the pandemic itself. And our country was just split in two in an unkind way. And I think this show kind of latched on to this need that we need kindness now more than ever. And uh, so I want to talk about that a little bit today. And, but when you hear the word kind, uh, you're, what, what's the first thing that comes to your mind? Because I want to talk about something a little bit different today. Probably you think about doing something nice, right? Kind and nice are kind of synonyms. And you're, you're doing something good for someone else. Uh, probably for me, the first thing that comes to mind about kindness is when, uh, when someone pays for the Starbucks order of the person behind them in the, in the drive-through line, right? That's, that's a kind thing to do. That's kind of, that's kind of nice. And um, actually for me, I think all acts of kindness somehow start with coffee. Uh, if you know me very well, that's just the way they're, they're all there. But if I were to ask all of you what you think kindness is, my guess is that most of your answers would be along the lines of being nice to people or, or doing some nice things. And uh, if you ever experienced any one of those random acts of kindness campaigns, uh, like the person paying for the, your coffee at Starbucks, what makes the, that uh, act, random act so random is that it's not normal, right? That's not the normal thing that we do. And I don't think that we understand the difference between kindness and biblical kindness. There's a difference that these random acts of kindness are things that happen sporadically and kind of out of the blue, but biblical kindness is significantly different from that. And uh, so let's take a look 
at what, uh, several things of what the Bible says about kindness. And so in the Bible, uh, for example, probably the most familiar passage I can think about it is that passage that we saw from that bumper as I came up is from Galatians chapter five, where the apostle Paul is teaching this relatively new church, kind of like Velocity, what a, a maturing Christ follower looks like. And he lists nine categories or nine qualities of a maturing believer, what they look like. It's called the, the fruit of the spirit. And in the, right in the middle of that, uh, there's nine of them. The absolute middle one is this word kindness. And, uh, and he, if you remember, he said the fruit of the spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness. Notice that kindness and goodness are different things. I want to talk about that. Faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. What the Apostle Paul is implying is that for Christ followers, kindness is not an outlier. It's not random. It's, it should be the norm. As we walk with Jesus and the Spirit of God is working on our hearts, we should become the kindest people on earth. It's the evidence of a maturing life. But sometimes, particularly in the past couple of years, we have become known for our, more for our harshness than for our kindness, even within the body of Christ, particularly on social media, right? And uh, I think that at the core of this is that we don't think that kindness is all that mandatory, that we have to do it every day, that we get to pick and choose which days we're gonna be kind. And uh, we might be called to love our neighbors, but that love for our neighbors is kind of like general and ambiguous. It's not that big a deal. And so what's the disconnect? I think it's particularly because we don't understand what biblical kindness really is. And one of the challenges about teaching about biblical kindness is that, um, is that the word that we use in English doesn't have a direct correlation, like a one-for-one -one correlation in the original language, the original word used in the Bible. So I wanna take a real quick look at what the Bible says about this word and kind of come, trying to figure out what biblical kindness really is. Hold on. All right, I needed that. All right, <clears throat> so um, in the Bible, in this passage, the fruit of the spirit, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, uh, the word for kindness, the Greek word is this word uh, Christotes. Christo, you don't need to know that, but I, I just like saying Greek words, Christotes. It kind of sounds like an, an app that you're gonna get at a Mexican restaurant, right? The appetizers, Christo, I'll take the Christotes, please. And, um, and uh, so this word, uh, and the problem with this word when you try to translate it is that it's translated in a, in a number of different English words. It's translated as good, ironically, uh, good and kind, or kind, gentle. Actually, the word here literally means Christotes means serviceable. This is what the literal mean is, and so it's, which makes me think it's like when you have to take your car in for a, an oil change, right? What's that, what's that have to do with kindness? Uh, but the word serviceable means that it is good for you, all right? That, that when you take your car in, it's gonna be good for your car to go get serviced. And, uh, and the word kindness has this element that it's good, it's something that is good for you. And uh, for some others, there's this familiar passage, for example, where Jesus was speaking and uh, he, he has this passage where he says, come unto me, all you who are weary and burdened and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me for I'm gentle and humble at heart and you'll find rest for your souls. And then he finished with this fairly famous phrase. He said, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. My yoke is easy and my burden light. And that word for easy, strangely enough, is the word Christotes. 
that, that Jesus says, my yoke is Christote. And what he's saying is that it's not easy. He's not saying it's easy to follow God. He's saying that following God is good for you. That it is serviceable for your life. That if you put my yoke upon you, it's gonna be a good thing for you. See what Jesus is saying there? He's saying that's what it's like. And um, another uh, scripture, for example, that uses this word uh, is one of Lisa's favorite uh, scriptures. We used to have it um, stenciled in our kitchen where the apostle Peter uh, said, taste and see that the Lord is good. Right, you ever heard that one before? Taste and see the Lord is good. And so, but that good there is the word Christotes. It means that he's good for you. And so the apostle Peter is saying that, that, that if you taste the Lord, he's good for you. So it's, he's kind of like saying it's, good, it's like good for you food, like carrots or, or kale or, or coffee, uh, maybe. is like that's with caramel and whipped cream on top. Taste and see that the Lord is good. He's good for you. And that word there, even though it's good, is this word Christotes. Now, in the Old Testament, what makes this even more uh, confusing a little bit to understand this word is that there's two different Hebrew words that are used for Christotes in the Old Testament. And the first word uh, that we find is this, this Hebrew word called hesed. If you say it right, it's hesed, but I don't, I don't speak uh, Hebrew very well, but hesed. And, um, and this word also is translated a number of ways in our English Bible. Uh, it's translated kindness, love, steadfast love, loving kindness, mercy, goodness, devotion. It's just all over the place. For example, uh, there's this one passage in Ephesians, or not Ephesians, Exodus chapter 34, and it says, he, God, passed in front of Moses. This is when he's giving Moses the 10 commandments up on the mountain. And he proclaimed the Lord, the compassionate and gracious God, slow to anger, abounding in love and faithfulness. And strangely, that word love is the word hesed. It's the, the word for Christotes. And, uh, and it's one of those words that meant so much in the original, original language that we have no direct equivalent in English. And sometimes it's translated this word uh, uh, as love, sometimes uh, unfailing love or covenant love. Sometimes it's translated even as kindness, biblical kindness. Uh, my favorite uh, translation for the, the word hesed occurs 30 times in the Old Testament and it's the, the hyphenated word loving kindness. And I like that because it's, it means that love is not just a feeling, but that love is expressed as kindness. There's an element to action involved in love. Kindness is love expressed. That's what this word means. So I like how one author put it that I was reading, kindness is just love with its work boots on. That's what biblical kindness is. It's love that gets to work. And uh, the, the other word in the Old Testament for Christotes is the word tav, T-O-V, tav. It's a great word um, that God saw that it was good in the, in the, the account of creation. But that word good is, is a loaded word. It means perfectly good. And uh, it's most often translated for goodness, uh, like at the, very, at the end of the 23rd Psalm, if you know that very familiar, uh, 20, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. And then at the end of that 23rd Psalm, uh, the, uh, David said, surely goodness and mercy will follow me all the days of my life. And the word goodness is this word tav. It's, it's like Christotes. And so it's not just like kind of the, the goodness of God will kind of generally follow me all the days of my life. It's if I follow God, his active goodness is gonna be with me. 
that it's gonna be good for me to follow God. See how that works? There, there's an activity to it that it's not just a passive thing, it's active. And so I think if you think of all these different concepts all over the Bible with all these different words, love, graciousness, goodness that is serviceable or profitable, and we combine all these ideas working together, we kind of come up with our own working definition of biblical kindness. And here's what I would put it together at. That kindness is an intentional act born out of love that seeks their good. All right? That's why the way I would try to define biblical kindness. It's an intentional act, not, not random or, or accidental, born out of love, and it's for their good. And uh, so uh, that's so much deeper, so much richer than just kind of being nice to people generally, isn't it? That's what, how deep biblical kindness is. And with that said, I think the challenge is not only that we don't understand what kindness is, uh, uh, technically speaking, but I don't think we understand why uh, kindness, why this kind of kindness has such an effect on the people in our lives. And so we don't get urgent about it. Uh, be, and so I want to talk about not just the what, but here in the middle about the why. And to do that, I want to kind of help us understand why we have to use kindness, not just what it is. And so there's four pro tips I think we can come up from scripture that kind of progressively help us understand why we need to be the kindest people on earth. So here's pro tip number one. Be like YouTube video number one. I should put these on YouTube. Three minutes, three minutes, three minutes, and come up in your feed. Pro tip number one. First of all, we need to view God as a kind God. Pro tip number one, we gotta view God as a kind God. And what, what I mean by that is, a lot of us have a difficulty seeing God as a kind God because we look at particularly his profile in the Old Testament and we see his righteousness and his wrath and his judgment and, and his holiness. And we think, man, God's kind of harsh, you know? And we see Jesus in the New Testament who's full of love and mercy and grace. And we think, I, I, can, I think Jesus loves me, but God... I'm not so sure. It's kind of like this good cop, bad cop thing going on in the Bible, right? And we're not so sure if God really loves us or not. Uh, but over and over again in the Bible, even in the Old Testament, it features God's kindness as a central part of his personality. The love of God and the kindness of God are used interchangeably in scripture, particularly in the Old Testament. We experience God's love through his kindness, and so I, I mentioned earlier that, pa that passage in Exodus chapter 34 where God is giving the, uh, he's given Moses the, the um, 10 commandments and he's kind of introducing himself to Moses. And so, uh, so he's kind of giving him his business card. And this is actually one of the most often repeated uh, scriptures in all the New Testament that the Bible quotes itself here almost more than any other passage of scripture. And so God takes out his business card. He's going to hand it to Moses here on the mountain. And, and you would think uh, uh, that he could put some pretty impressive things on his business card, right? Uh, you, he, he could say, you know, I'm, I'm the Lord. And then he could say, I'm the master of the universe, the creator of heaven and earth. I'm the sovereign emperor emperor of mankind. I am the inventor of coffee. Yeah, he could put all those really big de deals on his business card. But how does he introduce himself in a way that's repeated over and over and over again through scriptures so that we would understand exactly who he is? Well, let's take a look at that passage again. This is how God introduces himself to us. He says, God passed in front of Moses proclaiming the Lord, the compassionate and gracious God, 
slow to anger, abounding in love, hesed, Christotes, and faithfulness. God is basically saying, that's who I am. God chooses to introduce himself to us, describe himself to us as compassionate and gracious, abounding in loving kindness. That's who he is. We don't have to talk God into being a kind God. It's who he is at its core. And so God's default position towards us, not just mankind in general, but each of us individually is kindness, loving kindness. And for some of us, that's a, that's a whole switch uh, for how we think about God, that he's not one to put his thumb on us and, and make us sweat and, and pay for everything we've done wrong. His default for us is loving kindness. Pro tip number two then is if we have uh, understand, understood that God is kind by nature, then we have to understand that we have been recipients of God's kindness. It just naturally follows. And what I mean by that is as a pastor for 30 plus years now, I have often been surprised by the fact that there's a lot of people that have a hard time believing that God could fully love them. That I get to talk to people and it's always surprising that people think, I don't know if God could love me because of all the things that I have done in my past or are currently doing in my presence, uh, I don't know if God could love me because they, they think about God and his love for them as conditional, not unconditional. And so they have a hard time believing that I have been a recipient of God's kindness. Um, and so um, there's this passage that we're gonna use later in, in the, as we close as well, uh, but the Apostle Paul is writing to a, a young preacher at a new church, kind of like this one, and um, he taught about this. He said, at one time, we were foolish, disobedient, deceived, and enslaved by all kinds of passions and pleasures. We lived in malice and envying, being hated and hating one another. So all of us have a past, is what he's saying, right? But when the kindness that's Christotes. When the kindness and love of God, our Savior, appeared, he saved us. Not because of righteous things we've done, but because of his mercy. So Paul is using kindness here in the context of God's grace. Kindness is the gift of grace to us, all of us. Even when we're foolish or disobedient or deceived or enslaved, not because of what we do, but because of what he's done for us. There's this other passage, kind of lengthy passage in Romans chapter two, where the apostle Paul is teaching a church and it's kind of a harsh passage. Let me, let me read this for you. He said, you therefore, you have no excuse. That's a great way to start off a, a passage, right? You have no excuse, you who pass judgment on someone else. For at whatever point you judge another, you are condemning yourself. He's just giving it straight right here, isn't he? Because you who pass judgment do the same things. Now we know that God's judgment against those who do such things is based on truth. So when you, just a human being, pass judgment on them and yet do the same things, do you not think you'll escape God's judgment? It's kind of harsh, isn't it? This is not a touchy-feely letter that he's writing to this church. He's saying, um, you're, gonna, you're gonna get the same judgment you're putting on other people. Or do you show contempt for the riches of his kindness? Christotes, his forbearance, his patience, not realizing that God's kindness is intended to lead you to repentance. If we're Christians, 
We've experienced, we've received the kindness of God. And the Apostle Paul seems to be teaching that we become judgmental of others. On social media in particular, I think. There was none in the first century, but for our application now. We become judgmental of others when we forget the kindness of God that we've received. That we've received that. And so I wonder how do, how do we keep from forgetting the kindness of God? How, how, do, we, how do we keep from forgetting that and becoming judgmental. Very quickly, I think two ways. It's being here every Sunday. And that's not a legalistic thing like you need to come here every Sunday or you're a horrible person. It's that worshiping together, singing songs that remind us of the kindness of God, remind us of the kindness that we have received so that we can be kind to others. That's why we take communion every Sunday at this church as we're reminded of the kindness of God demonstrated on the cross in communion, not just for ourselves so that we can in turn give kindness to the people around us. When we remember, we, we become less judgmental of others when we remember the kindness that we needed to receive. And so that's why I would encourage you to come to church every week. It's not just because it's something you check off on your list, but because it helps us remember the, our, the kindness we've received from God. Pro tip number three, we've got to view kindness not as a privilege people earn, but as our default posture towards people. We've, we, we see that God's default posture towards people is kindness, even in the Old Testament. I wonder what your default posture towards people is. I think most of the, most of the time for me, it's, if we're honest, is tolerance, right? That, that there's people in our lives at work or neighbors or whoever that you kind of tolerate them for who they are. Or maybe, maybe aggravated would be a better term if we're, if we're honest or, um, or uh, annoyed. Uh, you know, the way we treat people is often a, a function of our external circumstances or our mood or how other people treat us. Or sometimes the way that we treat people in life is just a direct correlation to how we kind of were modeled by our parents. If our parents were kind of harsh people, they're kind of short with people, we kind of pick that up and that's the way we act towards people. But God challenges us to operate the opposite of that, but to operate the way he operates. Here's how Jesus described it in Luke chapter six. He said, if you love those who love you, big deal. That's my translation. If you love those who love you, what credit is that to you? Even sinners love those who love them. And if you do good to those who are good to you, what credit is that to you? Big deal, even sinners do that. And if you lend to those from whom you expect repayment, what credit is that to you? Even sinners lend to sinners expecting to be repaid in full. But love your enemies, do good to them, lend to them without expecting to get anything back. Then your reward will be great and you'll be children of the Most High because he is kind to the ungrateful and because he is kind to the ungrateful and wicked. So be merciful just like he's merciful. We combat the idea that people have to earn our kindness the more we constantly realize how much God's kindness we've been recipients of. And then it's so much easier to see other people in the same light. They're just people who need kindness too. Jesus once told this parable in Matthew chapter 18. And if you've got your Bibles, it might have the heading, the parable of the unmerciful servant, which doesn't sound very exciting. But it's this fascinating little parable where the king in the parable, Jesus describes, is collecting his debts from all of his, his servants. And there's this one dude, the Bible says, owed the king 10,000 talents. 
And in modern, if you do the math, in modern terms, that's like he owed the king a billion, literally a billion dollars. That'd be like five tanks of gas right now, right? And so, uh, so he, a billion dollars. And of course, the dude didn't have a billion dollars to give to the king. And so the king says, well, just throw him in jail and his wife and his kids until they can pay him back. And the servant got on his knees and he begged the king to have mercy. He'd pay it back. And strangely, the king said, let him go. And he forgave him of the whole debt, the whole billion dollars he forgave him of. That's pretty incredible, isn't it? Well, then Jesus tells the rest of the parable where a couple days later, the dude is in, uh, runs into a buddy of his at 7-Eleven that owes him 10 bucks. And he grabs him by the throat and says, give me my 10 bucks. And the guy says, I don't have 10 bucks. Be patient with me. I'll, I'll pay you back when I've got the money. And the guy refuses and has him thrown in jail until he can pay him his 10 bucks back. And the people in 7-Eleven are pretty honked off at this because they heard the story about him getting forgiven a billion dollars a couple days earlier. And so they go tell the king, they tattletale on the king and tell him the whole story. And then Jesus picks up the story uh, there and, uh, and the king says, you wicked servant, I canceled all of your debt. Shouldn't you have mercy on your fellow servant just as I had on you? Kindness is not a privilege people have to earn in our life. It's our default posture towards people because it's the loving kindness we've received. We've been forgiven all of our debt. So we're kind to others. Pro tip number four, it's the last one. We've got to view kindness not as a weakness, but as a strength. We have to view kindness as a weakness not as a strength. There's this great passage in the Sermon on the Mount that Jesus gave early in his ministry where he said, you've heard it said, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth, which was in the Old Testament. But I tell you, don't resist an evil person. If anyone slaps you on the right cheek, turn to them the other cheek also. Jesus coined the phrase, turn the other cheek. It's right here. And if anyone wants to sue you and take your shirt, give him your coat as well. And if anyone forces you to go one mile, go with them two miles. So this is the, where the phrase was coined going the extra mile. It's in Jesus taught this. And here's what, it's fascinating, the social psychology that Jesus is teaching here because he's teaching that weakness is, kindness is not weakness, it's a strength. You see, uh, for example, the, the, um, the, it, the giving them your shirt too. In the Old Testament, in the Levitical law, uh, you were allowed to sue your brother or your, your, your uh, fellow Jewish person, and you could sue them for everything they had up to one point. You were not allowed to take the last thing, which was the shirt off their back. That was seen as an injustice to leave someone naked, basically. That was, that was, that was seen as going too far. And so Jesus says, if someone wants your coat, give them your shirt too. You see what he's saying? So if you give them your shirt, now who looks like the, the, the unjust person? It's the person taking your shirt, right? Now you've turned the tables on them and kindness turns the table on an evil person. Or when you're walking an extra mile, when the Romans overtook uh, Jerusalem, Israel, in about 60 BC, they had to create all these laws for occupation. They occupied the city of Jerusalem. And so they created all these laws for what was legal for the Romans to do to the, to the Jews. And so they, and one of the laws what came up with is that a Roman soldier at any time could pick a random Jewish person from Jerusalem and make them carry his gear uh, without, without question, no questions asked. But 
only for one mile. It was illegal to force the person to carry the, the knapsack, the, the gear, all the gear, the Roman soldier, for more than one mile. And Jesus says, if, uh, if, if someone forces you to, to carry it one mile, carry it two. And so now who looks silly, the person that walks an extra 15 minutes or the person who's abusing their power? Jesus says kindness turns the table. Kindness is not a, a weakness, it's a strength. Basically, he's saying kindness is our divine superpower. It's what changes the world. And in a world where our natural instinct is to answer violence with violence, the Bible teaches us that the, the biblical kindness is what's gonna change the world. It's not answering violence with violence. And so um, I've completely lost where I'm going here. Uh, there, there's this um, Christian, one of my favorite uh, authors is this fellow named uh, Philip Yancey. I don't think he's related to Rob Yancey. Do you know if he's related to Rob Yancey? No, not related. You could say, yeah, he's like his cousin or something. But one of my favorite authors is Philip Yancey. In one of his books, he writes about this other book that he read that, that he absolutely loved. It's this book uh, that's called Miracle on the River Kwai. And uh, it's a firsthand account of a guy who lived through this season in World War II. Uh, his name was Ernest Gordon. And he was captured, he and all his men were captured uh, by the Japanese army in Thailand. And, and in Thailand, they were put to work in this prison camp building this bridge over the River Kwai. And there's an old movie uh, about that. But it's so famous because of how, how horrible the conditions were of this project. This project, the conditions and the severity of the treatment from the Japanese soldiers were so bad that this project is estimated to have killed 80,000 men. Can you imagine? And so the conditions are horrible. And Ernest Gordon says in his book that because of how bad it was, that eventually the, the prisoners started turning on themselves in the camp. They hated each other. They mistreated each other. They stole from each other. It, he said it was basically just survival of the fittest until one thing completely transformed the camp. One act completely changed everything. In the story, he tells that one day uh, the Japanese, uh, the brutal Japanese soldiers uh, discovered that one of the shovels had been miss has come up missing in the inventory. And so they brought all the prisoners of war together in the middle of the camp and they said, one of the shovels is missing and, uh, and we're gonna start killing you one at a time until someone confesses to stealing it. And so there was a pause. And after a few minutes, one guy stepped forward and said, I did it. And he was killed right in front of the camp immediately. Later that afternoon, as the workday was over, the soldiers discovered that they had miscounted the, the inventory and there was no shovel missing after all. And Ernest Gordon says that act of kindness changed everything. It changed everything. Yancey went on to explain in his book how the kingdom of God began to break out of the camp. In the midst of the hell of war, the beauty of heaven shone through. Eventually, they built a church as a sacred place for worship. They pooled their talents and they, they formed a jungle university that taught history and philosophy and economics. They made their own art gallery. They fashioned instruments and they performed classical concerts with the instruments they were able to make up. Uh, when they uh, eventually were released, uh, they treated the guards who had mistreated them so harshly with kindness and compassion. 
These prisoners had grown harsh towards one another because of the dehumanizing effects of war. What's kind of like, sounds like the culture wars that we're in right now, that we're growing more and more harsh with each other because of the dehumanizing effects of the culture wars we're in. But what brought back their humanity? Was it guilt? I don't think so. I think it was kindness. It was an intentional act born out of love for their good. Kindness is what fundamentally changes the world. Remember that random acts of kindness phenomena I mentioned earlier, where you get free coffee uh, or something else. Uh, that actually started back in the early 1990s. There was this college professor of human psychology that uh, started noticing over and over, almost daily on the news, would be this really odd phrase, a random act of senseless violence. And he heard that phrase over and ago, random act of senseless violence. And so one day in his class, he said to his students, today I'm going to commit one, commit one rectumance act of senseless kindness. Will you? And later, as it began to take off in an interview, he said, I thought if I would just take that one word kindness and replace it for that word violence, I would take this negative phrase and turn it into a positive phrase. And Pretty soon, some people heard about it on the news and they thought, That's, this is just awesome. And so they actually formed a nonprofit that, uh, that their mission is to create and facilitate opportunities for people to do more random acts of kindness. And so even today, now there's a random act of kindness day. Did you know that? It's February 17th. It's a great day to go to Starbucks because the person in front of you might pay for your coffee. On February 17th, it's random act of kindness day. But... In a world where our natural instinct is to return violence for violence, uh, they, they kind of latched on to this divine concept, the divine wisdom that's et etched into the fabric of humanity, that the most powerful response to violence is not more violence, it's kindness. But the kindness of God that we're talking about is not random, is it? It's intentional. It's not an outlier, it's our default posture towards people. So my question is, what's, what's this look for us today? We talked about the what it is and the why it is, but, but how do we live that out? Just talking about it isn't gonna do us any good. Uh, just watching YouTube videos all night long doesn't do a whole lot of good. Uh, I, I've been watching these YouTube videos uh, for months about uh, making cement. I live an exciting life. All right, so actually last fall, at the end of the season, I bought off of Craigslist a used cement mixer. And I've got a whole bunch of projects around our property that I would love to do cement. So I've watched a, an ungodly amount of YouTube videos about making cement. But you wanna know how much that's benefited anybody in our household so far? Zero. Because I haven't made any cement yet. I've just watched the videos. And so the question is, what are we gonna do about kindness? Not just talk about it. What's, what's this look like? Well, let me suggest some things. Uh, uh, Lisa shared before we got up, all these great outreach opportunities that this church provides for us to, to be kind to people, not just be nice to people, but to do something intentionally out of love for their good. And uh, so there's three or four examples of what this church is trying to do. Another thing I'd say is to serve at this church, that when people come through the doors looking for a place where they can plant their roots in a community of faith, uh, one of the things that they're gonna notice very quickly is how kind this church is. 
that people here love each other. And it's not just kind of this generalized thing, but they're intentionally loving each other for their good. And so we need people here at this church that plug in and say, I'm gonna be a part of driving what this church is about. And so I'm gonna serve at this church intentionally for the good of others. But I was trying to think, what's this look like in real life, just in regular life? And I thought I was modeled this by my, by my parents, first of all. One of the things that I remember when I was growing up is, uh, is my parents, right before Christmas, would gather up all of our clothes. I think my mom was anticipating that we were gonna get new clothes for Christmas. So she had all the kids. I was in junior high age. And we had to gather all the clothes that we were uh, too big for, we'd outgrown or maybe didn't like. And we bagged them all up. And on Christmas Eve, we didn't take them to the Goodwill store, which would be a great thing to do. But my family picked another family in our church that had kids just slightly younger than us. And on Christmas Eve, under the cover of darkness, we'd drive to their house and we'd, the kids would run out and put the bags of clothes on their front porch and ring the doorbell and run and get back in the car and g- giggle all the way home. There's a difference between giving it to goodwill, which is a good thing, but, but we did it intentionally, out of love for their good. That's what biblical kindness looks like is when you're doing something intentionally, showing the love of God to another person. And that's what changes the world. What's that gonna look like for you today? There's somebody in your life that needs to see the kindness of God. They may not deserve it, but neither do we.